Paul is saying that his fleshly nature is still alive and wants him to serve it rather than the spirit. His fleshly nature is at war with his spiritual nature. And anyone that is in Christ knows this is true. Today's sermon, Fighting Me. So if you will follow along, it says this. Or do you not know, brothers? For I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but... If her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another law, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code." What then shall we say? Is the law, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I once was alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but the very, I do the very thing that I hate. Now, If I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. With my flesh, I serve the law 
of sin. So point number one. In Christ, we are dead to the law that we love. So, first question, you know, what exactly does that mean? What do I mean by that when we say this? What exactly are we talking about? Because that seems kind of contradictory. How can you love what you're dead to? Well, in Christ, we have a new love for the law of God and a desire to live according to its statutes. Now, I just said a whole lot here. And I understand that this is like getting a sledgehammer to the face at 10.30 in the morning. So let me just say that one more time. In Christ, we have a new love for the law of God and a desire to live according to its statutes. But in order to fully understand this, we all need to understand that there are some divisions in the law. So even in our laws in the United States, there are divisions in these laws. And the Bible has divisions in its law. And we need to understand exactly what they are. So there's, generally speaking, three divisions. So the first one is the moral law. Okay, so these are the rights and wrongs, the objective goods and evils. They do exist. You can know what to do by what the Bible says, because these are objective standards that say this is good, this is evil. This is right, this is wrong. So when we talk about the moral law, what are we specifically talking about? We're talking about the Ten Commandments, all right? Issues where it says, thou shalt, thou shalt not, all right? So the objective, this is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do. This is what's known as the moral law. There's also the civil law. So the moral law speaks to how we act um, with our morality. The civil law is how that interplays with one another when we live in a community. We need to have a civil law. All right, we absolutely have to. So this is what is criminal and how it ought to be dealt with. So understand this. There are some things in the Bible that we are told we should not do. These are not part of the moral law, although they are comprehensively part of the law. These are things that tell us how to deal with these certain issues. So when we're talking about the civil law, it's if you do this, then this should be the punishment for it. So again, the same thing we talked about last week, if your car is stolen, all right, it gets replaced, the value of that car gets replaced, plus a percentage. That's biblical law. Good luck getting that today, all right? So we get the, uh, you know, joy of knowing that that person gets to go to jail for a short time and then is released for good behavior, and you still do not have a car unless you had insurance to cover that. Biblical law says, oh no, that person will go to jail and they will pay full restitution and restore what has been taken. Now imagine if we lived underneath that code, underneath that law. That's the civil law. Here's what you can't do, here's what you can do, and if you break this law, this is what the punishment is for it. So, also there's the ceremonial law. And this is an important distinction for us to understand with regard to the law, because people say, well, the Old Testament doesn't matter anymore. That's what Andy Stanley said. We need to unhitch ourselves. We're New Testament Christians. We need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. And he's wrong. And I'm fine by saying that out loud. He's absolutely wrong. Actually, what's interesting is Andy Stanley um, wants, as a pastor of a large church, to be able to receive an income. Show me in the New Testament where it says that happens. It doesn't. Except for the quote from the Old Testament. So you throw out the whole Old Testament, it really changes the way we function as the New Testament church, which is why it's so important. So the ceremonial law, 
this talks about something slightly different than the other two um, breaks in the law. This is how the Jews lived a life of purity. Because remember, they were going to be a distinct people. They were going to be unique. So this talked about things like what kinds of foods and activities to avoid, or to not avoid, to remain holy. What things you can touch, what things you can't touch. Uh, What things you can eat, what things you can't eat. So Christ has fulfilled the demands of the ceremonial law by his death on the cross. So to be made clean and pure in God's sight, Christ has taken care of all of this. So does that mean that, that the civil law has just been tossed away? Well, no, because Christ quotes it. When Christ is talking to his listeners, he is quoting the civil law. He is quoting the moral law, which means these things still stand even on this side of the cross. So then what does it mean that we are dead to the law that we love? Well, if you think about it for a minute, what, what did Paul compare it to? What did Paul compare this law to? How are we supposed to view this? Well, he compared it to a marriage. We just read that. Let's just look at those verses just one more time, Romans 7, 4 through 6. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. The point in this, you can't have two spouses. You can't. You cannot have two wives. You cannot have two husbands. So in order to be united to Christ and to benefit from his righteousness before God the Father, get this, you need to die to the law with regards to attaining righteousness. And that is the distinguishing factor that we're talking about this morning. We can't attain righteousness for ourselves, amen? Because we mess it up. Because I have all this list of these good deeds that I'm going to do, and I'm going to treat this person this way, and this person this way. And what's Paul say? He says, I know these things that I want to do. I want to do these things, but I don't do them. So we know this is true. So righteousness, according to the law has been accomplished by Christ. In order to be united to Christ and benefit from his righteousness before God the Father, you need to die to the law with regards to attaining righteousness. Not in our practical daily lives. We don't die to the law in that way. It's just what does that accomplish? Before we wanted to get to God. Now, through Christ, we can get to God without that. So now, any of our adherence to the civil and moral law is because we want to please the Father, because that is what he's commanded us to do. So now in Christ, we have a new relationship to the law. It's different. The way you and I live according to the law is different today than it was before. Look at the verse, verse 6 of chapter 7. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way. We serve in the new way. Everyone see that? We serve in the what? The new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code. So our ability to now, it's different now, our ability to now keep the law is not from our own power or might, but by the power of the spirit of Christ that dwells in the believer. I just said a whole ton of stuff in a short amount of time, so I just want to slow down for just a second. You and I have the ability. You and I have the awesome ability now 
to keep the law, but it's not by our own power or our own might. We can sit down and we can try to figure this out. Well, I'm going to do this this week and this and, and this, and I'm going to treat this person like such. If we are depending upon our own, our own power to do that, what's going to happen is we are going to collide with the war that's happening in between us. Because remember, Paul said he knows what he ought to do, right? Paul knows what he should do, but he doesn't do those things. We're in the same exact position. Why is that? Because our greatest fight is against our own person. The war that is being fought is being fought within us. There's an internal conflict that is very real to every believer. And you all know this is true. Experience tells us that this is true. You and I know exactly what we want to do with the rest of our day. We know that we do not want to offend anyone. We know that we want to make peace everywhere we go. Yet what happens? We go to bed and people are offended. We left a room and we shook stuff up instead of uh, bringing peace to that situation. We didn't want to say these particular words. And what happened? We said them. I wanted to make sure that I obeyed the speed limit, and then we didn't. That was just a joke. We have all these, all these things that we wanted to do, these acts of righteousness. We said, this is what I'm going to do, and then what happened? We, we didn't do it. Why? Because there's a war going on inside of us. Just look at the red. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want. I do not do what I want. Anybody ever been there? Give me an amen. Where you do not do what you want, give me an amen. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. How many times have you left a conversation, you're like, what did I say? Words are like a hand grenade. Toss them into a room. You can't go put the pin back in. You can't go pick up all the pieces and put them all back together. It's done. Sometimes we say very stupid things. And guess what? No matter how much you try, no matter how much super glue you try to use, you can't fix it. It's out there. Now it needs to be dealt with. Now we need to deal with the mess. And the truth about this is it's because of a conflict in us that is eternal. Oh, Jason, you're like hung up on Lord of the Rings now, aren't you? Two weeks in a row. This is a beautiful picture of what we're talking about here. All right? Smeagol, if we'll remember, is kind of a different character than the Gollum. Gollum is the one that wants to kill everyone so they can get back the precious. And he has to convince Smeagol of this. This is a conflict that is happening inside. And you and I are daily fighting the enemy within. Because within every single one of us, there's still a fleshly nature that wants us to do fleshly things. And as we depend on the Spirit, we can fight in this war and we can have great success. But often we bow out. So the truth is we know what is right and we want to do it, but often we find that we are fighting against something internal and powerful. It's powerful. It wants us to do what it wants us to do instead of us doing what we want to do. So a word of caution here, because this is always important with God's word. I have heard these verses pulled so far out of context, you could actually justify stealing things from the grocery store. Why is that? Because it's not me. It's a sin within me that did that. I didn't do that. I am following the law of the Lord. I have surrendered my life to Christ. It's the sin that is within me that causes these things to happen. We need to get a good grip on what Paul's saying here, though. So vitally important. Let's look at this passage one more time. So now it is no longer I who do it. 
but sin that dwells within me. Now, you could just stop right there. You could say, oh, there it is. I got it. That's the reason why I said those things. It's because of the remaining sin. Paul says it. It is no longer I that does what I do not want to do, but the sin within me. But when we rip it out of context, this quickly becomes an excuse. See, oh, see, now I know that I cheated just a hair on the time clock this week, but as it just so happens, that wasn't me with the sin that was within me. Isn't that interesting? Many believers lean in hard on this passage as a justification to live however they want. Because the truth is, well, you know, it's not me, it's the sin that dwells within me. I'm really leaning in on pulling this so far out of context that um, if anyone went and did some editing on this, they could definitely prove some heretical teaching coming out of Christian Life Church. Listen to what Jason said. He said, it's it's sin within him. It becomes a crutch for lazy believers to disengage from the battle, and that's just the truth. So when we look at passages like this and we rip this thing out of context and we say, well, you know, I can say that Christ defeated sin on the cross, but there's remaining sin in me. So it's really not my fault exactly because I did what I didn't want to do. See, here's what I wanted to do. But we need to remember that in the war for our soul, there is no, say that word everyone, neutral. There's no neutral. So no one breathing air is living a spiritually neutral life. And this is true. So you say, ah, what about the atheists? So contraire. They are also not living a spiritually disengaged life. You can't. You cannot. Why do I say that? Because they believe that there are intrinsic values. They believe that there are intrinsic elements, like love, like beauty. Where do these things come from? Well, you've got to take those by faith. Those are not th- Draw me a picture of love, everyone. If you can't do it, right? Draw me a picture of beauty. Now, you can show me a picture of someone loving someone or someone loving something. You can show me a picture of something beautiful, but you're not showing me beauty. So where do we come up with all these ideas? Well, these have to be taken by faith that they exist. It's the only way we can describe them. Everyone is living a life that is not spiritually neutral. People that say that they do not believe in God say that because they hate him. They are at war with him. They are at war with his precepts, with his laws. I don't want to do what God says I should do. I don't care. I don't want to. No one breathing air is living a spiritually neutral life. We are all very engaged. And a claim for neutrality is an admission of giving way to sin. And this is just true. Well, I choose not to take a stand on that issue. Well, if someone here is holding a gun two guns to two people and says, which one should I shoot? And you say, I choose not to take a stand. Someone still dies, right? You've still chosen not to engage in the battle. It still happens. Paul is saying that his fleshly nature is still alive and wants him to serve it rather than the spirit. His fleshly nature is at war with his spiritual nature. And anyone that is in Christ knows this is true. We hear this this beautiful, as soon as you become a Christian, you have less of a desire to do these things and more of a desire to do these things and you want to do good things all the time and life is just so special and then you start giving tithe and before you know it, your bank account is so full, you're just able to give money away in hay bales. It's so awesome. Everybody knows that's not true. And the spiritual end of things, they say, life has never been better. All of your relationships are better. 
How many of you can testify with me that once you become a Christian, a lot of your relationships are not better? Can I get an amen? All of a sudden, people that you were friends with don't want to be friends with you anymore because you're weird. All of a sudden, you're saying things that they don't like. You're doing things that they don't like. And the things that they want you to say and they want you to do, you're like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really into that anymore. Or you're just talking to Christians. Hey, Brother Pete, you never believe what happened to me this week. And before you know it, you, you guys are in a battle over that too. It's not easy. Well, wait a minute. What version of the Bible did you get that from? The King James. <laughs> Heresy. What are we talking about here? Everybody knows that when you become a Christian, it does not automatically fix every single relationship. It's just not true. It's not so. Because there's a war that happens. We all know the truth of this. It's true. So we all have the desire. We all do. We have the desire to do right, but often we still do what we hate. Why? Why do we do this? Because we are at a war and we are always picking sides. And this is true. And there's always this flip-flopping back and forth. One of the blessings of, um, of the coronavirus, which there are blessings in this too because God is in control and he is good. So we know that there are some things that are upon us now that are just hard and, and difficult to deal with, and there are some things that are blessings. Uh, one of the things that have been a blessing to me is I've developed relationships with a lot of pastors locally and abroad, which has been cool because I've been able to talk to them about what types of things they're seeing. And as you get a look and a handle on what's happening in our nation, it's really, really scary. Because in this war... We're always picking sides. And you know where all Christians believe that ends? The doors of the building. And it doesn't. It doesn't. Romans 7, 21-23, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So what we need to understand about this is, um, so I definitely am 100% on board that mental disorders are very, very real and, um, and, and they are out there and I would not say any different. Um, what I will say is sometimes we like to take those terms and we like to throw them into the spiritual end of things and we say things like spiritual bipolarism or spiritual schizophrenia and that's just not true. There's two natures at war. Two and we are always betraying one side. Always. So understand that when we choose the flesh over the spirit, it's not just making a choice in the positive, I chose the flesh. It's also making a choice in the negative, I rejected the spirit. So in our daily walks, when you and I make a decision, which we will have many of them, as soon as we leave this building, we'll have many of them. We are making a choice to follow Christ or not to. And believe it or not, Christ has something to say about every single area of our lives. Every single area of our lives. But we have two natures. Two choices. We're either choosing to follow the spirit of Christ that's living within us, to follow those urges he gives us toward righteousness, or to follow those sinful, fleshly urges that we have. And often we're just very inconsistent. 
And conversations between believers on dividing issues show us very quickly the war. It's very clear. And this isn't a battle of right and wrong in the church. This is a personal battle that's only exasperated in numbers. And this is true. I wanted to make sure that I had this down right. There's a personal battle that's happening in every single church, every single church, every single church this morning, and we all ought to be fearful of it. Because it's this personal battle that's taken into a congregation. Don't believe me? Well, let's get real controversial for a second. Which news station is right? Which political leader is right? Which legislation is right? There are believers that are, they're not just making decisions and having conversations. They're arguing over this and leaving churches because of this. They are up and leaving not just the church. They are leaving the church. What I say by that is they're not just up and leaving like Christian Life Church. They're saying, no more of this, I'm done with it. I'm done. Over what news station to watch? Are you kidding me? Over who the political leader is that's right? We're going to argue over this so much that you're going to now leave the church, not even have a conversation about this, or we just get mean? Or which legislation is right? Believe me, I can talk to you all day long about legislations that I believe are fundamentally criminal. But I'm not going to beat you up over it. I'm not going to drive you away over it. We can have honest, clear conversations about what's going on in the world, but understand that what's happening right here, these are arguments that are being fought about in the body of Christ, but it is very evident by how believers are treating one another over these issues that they aren't really at war under the guidance of the Spirit, but under the power of the flesh. Because the question that we should ask ourselves in all these conversations that we have with one another is, what am I hoping to get out of this? Sit down and have a conversation about, you know, what programs you like to watch. What am I hoping to attain by this? Am I hoping to deepen our relationship? Because I will tell you this, in the church of 2020, relationships are not being deepened at all. We're not going to new depths. They're being torn apart. And the church in America in 2020 is in huge trouble. I've spoken to multiple, multiple pastors about this that see divides over politics within their congregations. Of course there's going to be divides. Of course there are going to be opinions. Of course one person is going to side here. One person is going to think that, that this is better over here. These cannot be things that rip the church apart. What these things are are a spiritual battle being fought inside a person, and we're choosing what weapons to fight with. I'm going to use my words, and I'm going to make you feel totally stupid about yourself and your opinions, because this is where I am in life. And millions of Christians are fighting a war against flesh with their fleshly nature. And this is the stupidest. I mean, this is the, the, the most dumb way that we can fight. Imagine if you were going into a fight with a person and instead of using your fists, you picked up another person to fight with. Does that seem stupid to you? This is what we're doing. We're fighting against the flesh with our fleshly nature. 
Because we have all these fleshly natures that are coming together and saying, well, I'm right, and I'm right, and she's right, and he's right. We're, we're not having an honest conversation about these things. Instead, we decide we're just going to rip each other apart. And the fights we're in are not about... Understand this. This is true. Email me, text me, come talk to me and tell me if this is not true. The fights that we are in are not about being biblical or unbiblical. They're about how we feel. Well, I just don't like, or I just like. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about how to lead righteously? What does the Bible say about how to be a good citizen for the nation I live in? What does the Bible say about what I should do with this next choice? These things all stem not from the spirit who brings unity, but from the flesh. How do we know this? Let's take a look around. The spirit unites believers together. The flesh will rip us up. Satan wants to tear us into pieces. And we are at war in ourselves. So understand that whenever we have these arguments, these disagreements, and these people that are just leaving the church for these reasons, this is not because there's a war going on in the church. Yes, there is. But this is because there's a war going on inside every single one of us, and we are choosing one way over another. We are choosing to follow the flesh instead of choosing to follow Christ. Who are you fighting against? You're fighting against you. I'm fighting against me. When we're sitting down and we just want to pummel someone, do you know who's winning at that point? Spirit or flesh? Say it, everyone. Flesh. The spirit's winning because you just made someone feel like an idiot? No. No. I'd ask my kids to step up and testify because they've heard this enough for Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come forth from thy mouth, but only that which is good for the building up those around you. Is that the life we're living? So that's what the Spirit says we should be doing. So, all this to say, what do we do? Because believe me, the waters ahead of us are rocky. There are all kinds of stones poking out that will rip the bottom of our canoe right up if we don't do something. So what do we do? Point number three, the shortest point, I promise. God alone, through Christ, delivers us. God alone, through Christ, delivers us. Paul says this, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh serve the law of sin. There is deliverance in this war, and that should be something we all are very joyful about. There is deliverance. The question is, how will you view yourself? How will you view yourself? How will you view your own power against the flesh? And the most important point, and this is the hardest for all of us, I am proud at times, and uh, I also have a difficult time with, uh, with this one here. So before I say that, I want to point out to you a conversation by A.W. Tozer he had with a member of his church. He was talking to this man. This man says, oh, I'm a worm of a man. A.W. Tozer said, no, you don't believe that. Oh, yes, I am. I'm the worst. I am a worm of a man. Tozer said, you don't believe that. 
He said, yes, I do. I am a wretch. I am a worm of a man. And A.W. Tozer said, you don't believe that. If you believe that, you would not defend yourself if you go home and your wife says, you're a worm and you're a wretch. No, I'm not. Are you kidding me? I was at church today. I was sitting in the congregation. Sometimes our biggest problem, most of the time our biggest problem, isn't outside, it's inside, it's us. So are you willing to say with Paul this morning that you are wretched? Am I willing to say with Paul, wretched man that I am? Are you willing to look for deliverance apart from your own ability? Because that's exactly what we're talking about here. It doesn't say thanks be to ourselves for being good people. Thanks be to ourselves for making a great choice this morning. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. We must be willing this morning no longer to view the, the gospel as an affections thing. We, we do that all the time. That's crazy. It makes me all warm and fuzzy inside. Well, I'm good, but what does it do to change your life? Because how you feel really doesn't affect the people around you too awful much. It's what we do with that. And we need to give our minds to Christ. Why? Because it says this. Let me read it to you again. I myself serve the law of God with my mind. With my mind. We need to give our minds to Christ. And as that passage tells us, every thought, every thought, think about that for a second with this next thought, every thought must be held captive to him. Every single thought. That's what the Christian life is.